buttoned that up. I'm very relaxed, as you can tell. I've been stretching. So everyone met you in. Oh, mate, I didn't get to meet you in Thailand when you were over at Tiger Muay Thai. Uh, and the boys are like, I'm like, what's he like? And like, he's a fucking legend. He's an absolute legend, mate. So, what were you doing over there? So, uh, my work's usually quiet in January, and I usually go to Thailand if I can every January, train at Tiger. And the first time I was out there, I met Sean uh, or Coves. Um, and obviously, we, we've got a lot in common. He's, he was cutting around in his, um, in his ADF shorts, and I sort of see, obviously, realized he was walking. No, standard, mate. Yeah. Fashion doesn't change for Coves. He's still wearing washed up fucking army gear. Yeah, yeah. Day one, I was like, seen. Um, so anyway, I arranged to come out the following year and uh, obviously touched base with Coves and said, oh, we're coming out these dates. I've got a couple of guys coming out. And uh, he was like, oh, no, this is bad. He's like, I've got a load of my guys coming out as well. And uh, the stars aligned, I think. I think we were pretty good that trip. Like, I mean, that was the first time, obviously, we met. And the first time I... Not the first time I've been to Thailand, but the first time I've been to Tiger. Our intention was to go there, trial a concept for a couple of week health retreat, and stay off the piss. And I think we almost nailed it. Like we, I think we hit the piss maybe twice in two weeks. But that's what Cove said to us too. He's like, "Mate, the boys, the pommy fucking boys are coming over. You boys are going to be at the same time." I'm like, "Oh, well, there goes the idea of being healthy." But we yeah. we stuck to it kind of well. No, I think we did. I think it went for me that trip. It went back to the old school military rules. Like you just turn up on time, no matter what happened last night. If you turn up and do the session, you're back in. You're good to go. So uh, I think we stuck to that a couple of times, but it worked. Yeah, the other boys. There was the other boys you were with. Um, didn't all stick to it. I know there was a couple of mornings we were up training early, went to breakfast, and then they came out looking like fucking garbage. <laughs> yeah, you can't hide it in Thailand either, right? It's just straight out in that heat. Everyone else is looking so fresh on that street. Everyone's been training, you know, walking past with an avocado smoothie and you just feel like... Yeah. <laughs> You're still sucking champagne no trying to get your head to work again. <laughs> is it that yeah, bad? I, I, it's always the, the fucking way, but isn't it? If, get, go and do it hard. If you're going to have a massive night on the piss, back it up. And it's, the culture's the same in the palms and being a squatty and... Yeah, 100%. It's uh, it's almost a challenge, you know. I think, you know, we'll go out for a couple of beers. You know, you've got a 10 miler in the morning. Yeah, there's no need to. And then you're all there together egging each other on. Hey, I don't think I've got it in, in me anymore, but when you're 21, it's a different story. Um, I think, oh, I was going to say, yeah, mate, I, I can't do that anymore. Fuck no. I know that, that was the way in the battalion. Hit the piss all night, probably four to five nights a week. Pack marches on Friday. No one gives a fuck. It's like, that's the best, probably the best PT to do hungover because it hurts, but you don't have to actually participate that fast. You just got to be there in a body of people. But fuck, now how old are you now, mate? Like, I couldn't do it anymore these days. I'm 29. I'm, I'm 30 next weekend. No, oh, you're still and a I can't do it now. <laughs> What's a 10 miler? Yeah. What's that? 1.6 miles in a K, isn't it? 1.6 Ks in a mile. So 16 yeah, it's about 16k. Was that pack march or run? Yeah, so every, like, I think similar to what Adrian just said, every Friday we had what we call Colonel's PT, which was always a pack march or something with lock. I don't know, some sort of fun before the weekend. But then everyone tries to go home at the weekend. 
because everyone can. UK is that small, even if you live at the other end of the country and you're based in the north and you live in the south, you can still get home for a weekend, right? So you, your night's Thursday. So thirsty Thursdays, you'll go out, crack the, crack the PT on the Friday, and then everyone sort of uh, bum bursts out of camp. And you've got the, you've got, got the guy on the gate trying to control everyone, saying you're not allowed to leave camp till three, and it's like, watch this. <laughs> like wacky races outside of camp. <laughs> So you hang on, you is this like a, a normal day to day life in the in the British military? You guys live on base Monday to Friday? Yes, mate. Yes, mate. Unless you're married. Fuck. You're married, really? um, you, get, you get a quarter or you got a married house. But um See, that's the same as that's the same as the Yanks, isn't it? The Yanks are the same, unless you're married, you you live on base. Yeah. Australians base. are like, oh you just sip yeah, you just civvies in a uniform. You don't really. Mate, need Australia to be... needs to change that quick, smart. That is why we've got these young kids. It's a nine to five job in Australia. Well, what is it like, seven to four or whatever? But it is unless you're at bush on training, you are rocking up at work in the morning, going home in the other. I reckon you'd you'd pull some young bloody pups in line if you made them live on base. You can be an on base alcoholic. That's fine as long as you're doing your job. But it it feels more like military when you're in the lines with the boys. For sure, some of the problems idea. we noticed is the guys in, in camp, the younger lads coming through, they were just they weren't socialising on the evening. They were just going back to their room, getting on the Xbox or the PlayStation. And like you said, you can get that nicked straight away. You know, you just go through the door. You're like you're coming out with the boys tonight. Get off, or you're getting down the gym. If someone was someone was lacking behind on the fitness and stuff like that, you'd get them down the gym with the guys. This is a big communal effort, and it, it, it brings it brings the brotherhood in. And to be honest with you, mate, that's why a lot of people probably struggle when they leave because you haven't got that person knocking on the door saying come on you know if, if you're a bit short of cash you can't come up, go out or you're feeling bad you've just broken up with your girlfriend whatever it is you haven't got matey next door knocking on the door saying come on let's go for a beer man or let's go down the gym you just go home and you're on your own so that's a weird concept for myself to to consider and um, that you guys yeah like you said nine to five i think there's definitely positives to it but with what we're talking about here yeah when you're in a camp you know you can't hide you let you're laying in your room feeling sorry for yourself someone's going to come through the door um, oh mate, hundred percent. Like we, I mean, we we as you know, we're trying to move the the um, conversation around mental health away from PTSD and more towards um, tribe identity and purpose. And, and tribes are the massive one. You can definitely see how living uh, when you're in the military, living on base with all the boys. I think a lot of people would look back and go, that would have been fucking better. Because some of the best shit we did was when we were either in training like basic training stuff obviously you, you live on base um with people ieds and whatever and then when you're on courses sometimes too and most of the funny stories i've got from the military was on courses because you're living with the boys for a few weeks or a month or a couple of months or whatever and it's fucking way better it's tribal but i, yeah. I can also understand that for you boys that would fucking hurt twice as much when you leave monday the first monday comes around and you're like ah oh, where's all the boys yeah yeah definitely and it's it's good when you're when you're when you're high when you're high when you're uh, when you're on a high when the guys are good things are going good in life it's that when you are having a tough time that's when it that's when it creeps in but then that said I know a lot of boys who left the army because they don't want to live in the block you can't be living in the block past your thirties it's not <laughs> healthy you're not going to have a normal relationship you know girls don't like to come to the block on the weekend and live with six snipers. They don't like that. So like, <laughs> sure they don't. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
So in that respect, that's why guys leave. And there's plenty of reasons why guys leave, but that's one of them. You know, it's like, shit, man, I need to get out of the block, you know. Yeah. Walking around naked, drinking all the time, and then smashing the gym twice a day is just, I mean, it's pretty good, but it's not its not a good lifestyle forever. And, and it's not going to sort you out when you do try and make the transition because you have to leave at some point, right? Mm. I mean, Australia, Max, you, you um, were in a bit before me, but Australia used to have, like, you must live on base for 12 months. When you first get to a battalion, go through training, get to a battalion, you live on base for a minimum of 12 months before you're allowed to then move off. But, like, when I got... Uh, 2000 and, end of 2006, I got to the, the battalion and they were, by then, like on base lines, there wasn't enough Like the, because the Middle East was kicking off and um, military was ramping up numbers in infantry battalions especially. Like there was just nowhere to live. So as soon as I was in living lines for like a month and then moved off. Um, was it, Did they follow through with that back in the day, Max? Yeah, I'm telling you, honestly, we, we moved into each company had their own living lines. Uh, and those living lines you moved into, and that's where you worked from, or your kit was, you lived and slept, slept there. And um, it was fucking amazing. And then they built all this new accommodation out the back, the, the wank boxes, we call them. There's like, you got a little kitchenette in an individual room. Whereas it used to be individual rooms, communal showers, toilets, and, and a big hallway used to fire hose people down to get rid of them <clears throat> after a night out. You know what I mean? But the... The concept was, was amazing, mate. People were punching their heads through asbestos walls to come and get you if you were sitting in your room being a wanker, just yeah. sitting there doing nothing. And there was absolute visual on everybody the whole time, mate. And then we, what happened was we moved up to these little wank boxes and the, that social construct broke down and people kept saying it. And without sounding like a, an old Dargan, um, Everyone always says that they the best times were when you used to have line parties and, and, and block parties and you know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. That's if there's one thing I miss about the army, it's it's the block parties, it's the living in the block. That's everyone said that. You know, married men are like, Fuck man, it was good in the block, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't even need to go out. You know, you know I don't know. We, we, when I first joined the army, you had your food paid for. It's taking out your wages. So you could blow your wages in that first weekend. And then you'd still get fed for the rest of the month. So it's like, we call it like, you know, millionaire's weekend. Yeah, and yeah, then, payday you know, playboys and fortnight beggars. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. And then it's sort of, you know, the last weekend of the month, everyone's going to the change pots and like getting a, just to get a crate of beer in. But then you just <laughs> sit in the block, you watch a film and, you know, you sit there and watch platoon in your, in your ghillie suits or your Gore-Tex jackets and just be weirdos. But <laughs> you know full well if someone's uh, if someone's having a tough time, someone's having a good time. You know le- leadership there. You don't you don't need it. You know if someone's having a bad time. The minute he turns up, you, you feel it off his body language. You know each other that well. And if you're looking for a, a close knit cohesion within a unit who's going to go and fight, that's what you need, isn't it? You know um, you need to know each other that well. So there's definitely positives there, especially in time of war. But then hey, moving on now, I know. The, the regular British Army isn't it isn't regularly deployed now, or we're not really fighting anywhere. So maybe you know, I said the Australian model probably suits it better. It would be better for retention, gives guys a bit more of a life. Um, yeah, no, mate. The, the counter argument to that is the Australian. I mean, Australia's struggling for recruitment as well, same as all peacetime armies. But um, I don't know. I've been out for a long time, but. Uh, it, Every generation says the next generation's getting soft. I think there's a lot of good soldiers still pushing through, but 
a lot of the political correct shit that's pushed down from from higher ups it's making it too normalized so yes i mean it'll probably be good for like the when you transition out you won't have any dramas becoming a civvy again because you never really became a soldier anymore these days it's but bad anyways. mate honestly uh, um i mean we'll get on with it but it there's no culture. The, the one thing I think your mess culture in, in the in the poms is fucking amazing. From you know your your messes, the sar- especially your sergeants and seniors messes, um, and the culture around just everything, terminology, little games. Australia always felt like civvies in a uniform pretending. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but the the, the culture between the two armies was never there. I don't think. Worked. Worked. I didn't really work with the, Austra- with the Australian guys and I, was, I did a course in the jungle. There's a couple of guys there, but I, I looked at, there was a transfer scheme to the ADF. So I looked into it and obviously by that time I'd been in the block. So your whole model looked awesome. It's like, yeah, you get your own, you get your own place. It's nine to five. Like, yeah, this is brilliant. You know, I don't have to walk out for breakfast in the morning and see two blokes fucking spooning each other on a sofa. It's all right. <laughs> um, the mess culture is definitely good. I, I mean, I miss that. 100% you've got you're living in a hub there's downstairs you've got the bar downstairs so it's like you're always social um high operational tempo you've got the downtime it's it's almost like self-contained you don't need to leave camp if you don't if you you can go down you can get a beer you can you can spin a yarn you can moan about how shit the day was um yeah I, I've never seen it like that I just assumed everyone was like that but yeah it's, it's a good point you make because talking about culture, um, you're from the household cavalry, is where you deploy. Yeah, is that they're proper blue blood? The officers, proper blue blood. Like you got to know someone to know someone as an officer to get in the household cavalry, or yes. So, I mean, nine out of ten of them have six toes and three nipples, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get some stick for that. Uh, oh, good. We got straight to the point, mate. We're, good. We're talking before this. So like, I want to know what it's really like, and I want to hear someone go proper truthful on fucking pommy officers. So guns free, mate. mate go. So like Prince William and Harry both joined the army. Both of them joined the household cavalry. So we'll put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> both of them good blokes from what I've seen and worked with. Um, Harry especially was out on tour, you know, getting stuck in on two Afghan tours, one with the boys, one as a, as an Apache pilot. Um, did you work with him? I haven't worked with him personally, but a lot of close friends were out on tour with him and they'd look back contact footage, uh, you know, as you do, you will be a footage of firefights and, uh, and he, he was really cool with one for the lads uh, and he'd be like, there's one for grandma. And then he like walked off and everyone's like, that's the fucking queen. Like, that's what you're talking about. And you just, you know, the thought of like coming in like, hey, granny, watch this, watch this. Um, they're raining 30 mil into an insurgent. Yeah, brilliant. So he was an operator, bit of an operator. Yeah, he was, he's, been in, he's been in the shit with the boys. Um, and I, do you know what, I, my impression or what, from, uh, many people agree with me. He, he joined the army, he loved it. And this was his chance not to be a prince, not to be a royal. He enjoyed going into the block. He was found in the block playing Xbox with the, with the boys. He wanted to get amongst, see how the lads worked. He enjoyed being in that. So, hey, hats off to him. You know, from, hey, if it's a choice between living in Buckingham Palace and going to get yourself stuck in the Musakala, Afghanistan, not many, many people that would be jumping over there, would they? Yeah, that's fucking true, to be honest. 
And it sounds it like wasn't, yeah. it wasn't bloody um, Uruzgan Province. It was fucking Helmand where you got a pretty good chance of getting yeah. your fucking head shot off or your throat shot yeah. out. That's where we're about to find out. Yeah, a lot of the boys there. Uh, a lot, a lot of that tour. A lot of boys got hurt. You know, we we took casualties. So, yeah, he was definitely stuck in. But household cavalry officers in general are either really, really good because they're the the prestigious of it, right? It's the the prestige of going to that regiment. So, you're top third at least. You're a good guy, or you're a fucking blubber in India whose uh, whose dad's a fucking lord and has been sent there so he can get his fucking trust fund when he's when he makes major. And he just he just absolutely pisses blokes about, um, hasn't got a clue, and just sort of worries about where his next uh, where his next bottle of champagne's coming from. To be honest, Fuck. yeah, I think I think that part of uh, military culture trickled down to Australia. Probably not as yeah. bad. We don't have the the um, the lineage, I guess. There's only a couple hundred years of fuckwittery that that leads you into a certain lifestyle pattern in Australia. But I mean. There is still, there, I think you, again, Max, you can probably speak to this better than I can. You've dealt with a lot more officers more recently. It's, it seems like a, there's a, a generation of officers coming through that want to be in control of men, but don't have, they, they never came from silver spoon families. Um, but the majority of Australian officers, well, didn't really come from silver spoon families. But somehow, somewhere along the line, when they signed up and said, I'm going to go to Duntrue and I'll go to RMC to become an officer, it feels like they were taught to, to treat people like they came and you know from. What the fucking funny thing lordship. is that, uh, yeah, about Duntroon and, and the officer academy is that um, they're all taught by sergeants and warrant officers. And the system of inculcating these young 18-year-old um, officers who don't know any better, they don't know any better. They're literally, you'd be having beers down the pub, they'd be doing the same shit that, that, that an OR would be doing. Uh, and then as soon as they get them in the system, they're like, they, they are inculcated from a young age. This is how you are to act and be. Um, and then they rock up to a unit where there's some senior boys banging around and they're like, hmm, I don't know how they hold it. And they have to sort of borrow a little bit of experience from the, and leadership from the platoon sergeant and, and the corporals and be like, come on, boys, do what I say, you know, because the Australian disciplinary system is terrible. I don't think, I think it's one of the worst. Um, almost lax military discipline systems on on the planet. I think you guys would I'm in charges going downrange for you boys would, in the Brits. Is it is it is it pretty big? Or frequent? It is. It is now. When I I've, I probably got the back end of it. I joined in two thousand and eight, and it was if you turned up late, or you know you fucked up, platoon sergeant you had a choice. You met him around the back of the wagon and you got a sucker punch to the stomach and that was the end of it. Or you went on guard at the weekend. So, you know, it, that's, that was a bit old school and, and I respected that. I was, I was happy with that. To be honest, I was a little, like 17, I, when, I, when I got to my unit, I needed a dick. I needed to be treated like a dog because you know, I was a little dick. A little dick who just passed army training and thought he was hard as fuck. So, you need that mentality. You know, I get guard at the weekend. Yeah, cheers. I'll just be late next week. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a lot of that they had. Um, and then, like I said before, we had some of the best officers in the army, without a doubt. I worked with some of the best blokes, you know, best soldiers and officers. I think within that unit. But the other half is 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 pretty dire. And you know, when he comes waltzing down and he's telling you that you're on guard at the weekend, you're just going to fuck him off. You know. Yeah. Cheers. 
Do you um, know about it? Do you, I mean, the digger net's probably strong. Uh, in I've the got Brits. it. I've got yeah, yeah. I've got. I follow a couple of the, of the pages on Instagram. Man, it's funny as fuck. <laughs> the ignorant digger, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you yeah, would know. You now. would know who's who's fucking solid before they sort of get in, and who is proper tough blue blood. Um, probably going to get people killed. So imagine the sort of people I'm talking about that are like his proper blue blood. Yeah. Imagine what he looks like walking down the street. Stick him in uniform and get him to walk around an army camp with that same walk. He's going to be spotted a mile off. You know, it's just, uh, you know, you're not in Fulham now in your pink chinos. Like, he puts uniform on, but he still walks the same way. Uh, Yeah, you can tell a mile off. The bloke can tell a mile off, but... um, but then that said, a lot of them, they, like you said, they, they go to Sandhurst, which is our military officer academy. They're taught by warrant officers and stuff, and they're taught a lot about moral courage. Um, so you get the bloke who's probably quite socially aware, socially smart, and he turns up, and if, if you've got anything about you, you're going to get in with your platoon sergeant, and you're going to let him guide it for a couple of weeks, and you're going to get the feel for the platoon, hey? But you get some who will turn up day one and tell the platoon sergeant that he needs to get his sideburns up because he's been taught about moral courage. You know, and that just get, normally gets met with a, probably with some uh, stern words around the back. But, you know, you generally get people that do that. They think they're doing the right thing. They're an officer. And, you know, the moral courage is to say, my platoon sergeant needs to have a shave or his sideburns are too low, as opposed to being like, I'm going to sort of take this in here. He's obviously probably been on three or four tours. He's been in over 10 years. I'm going to let him guide it. Uh, they, they think that they think this is what they need to do. And that's obviously, maybe there's a fault there within the training that they're going through because, anyone knows you don't do that <laughs> yeah i'm not sure where where it sort of goes with it because um they sort of get in and then fuck, I, don't I think a lot of it i mean that kind of stuff comes from the fact that like you would again you would believe back in the day that if you're a a privileged family or you you a landowner or whatever the fuck it was in, in england that, that entitled you to become an officer you walk in there with an internal confidence. Whereas these days you've got these young dudes going and they've gone through their training, but they still have so many natural human, young 20 year old man insecurities and they're rocking up. And the only way they've been taught to overcome their own insecurities is to get someone with authority in trouble to say you are now beneath me. And that fucks you up real quick. If you're a young officer and you come into a battalion and you fucking try and beast your platoon sergeant, you are fucked for months. Like you got to do something pretty heroic to get the boys back on your side, or they're going to think you're a cockhead. Yeah, you, I think you're bang on. Now, next, you you bring up a good point of where the fuck does it go wrong? Because they're taught by warrant officers and, and staff sergeants or colour sergeants. Um, but yeah, definitely, we've. I mean, I won't name names, but there's been stories of um, of officers out in Afghan, and we we have a lot of Fijian soldiers join us, obviously being Commonwealth. Um, and obviously we all know how big join. the average for Jean is a big join. Problem. Yeah, I like the way you use join. <laughs> you <laughs> join the British military. <laughs> uh, no comment. Um, there's, there's been stories of them like posting smoke grenades inside the command, inside the officer's turret and just standing on the top and just giving them a bit of smoking out and just being like, lifting it up and being like, stop being a dick. And you've got two 20 stone Fijians pulling you out of the turret and you're covered in purple smoke. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I'm not quite yeah. sure what it is because, I mean, there were stories of, of, how about RSM say, you know, they used to go to the mess in the 1970s, right? And they'd, 
it was a wet mess. So all the OR's, corporals and sergeants and, and that would go to the mess and have a couple of beers. And then in the afternoon, they'd pop down to the grenade range and throw some fucking grenades around. Do you know what I mean? And then these are now RSMAs, RSM of the Army and, and core RSMs and, and et cetera. And they're like, absolutely not. You fucking cannot do that. I'm like, yeah, but you did. And it was cool. And so what is it? Are we, are we moving? What, what, what are we, are we, are we trading capability for, for safety standards? Are we, where are we moving with this? Um, we're moving away from a lifestyle into a professional job or a nine to five corporate job. And I'm not saying to the extreme, go get shit faced and throw hand grenades. But um, but it'd be nice every now and then. And then those people are then instructing the next people, like, no, you absolutely can't do that. Yeah, I think I don't know what you guys experienced, but that the army changed its attitude as soon as Afghan started sort of drawing down. Like, you, you didn't get away with it, but you know, you, your average bloke, a group of blokes that go downtown on a on a on a on a night and getting getting a fight, or you know, and they're all in a fight together because you're training together, you're training to go to war. These things happened, right? You're dealing with soldiers, not accountants. So, like, there was a bit of understanding there, and you'd, you'd have a good sergeant major who would who would be like, "Look, lads, I don't think you're a dick, but you know, you're fucking, you've come across my desk, so you know, you're going to get the book thrown at you for this." But it was, you know, it was spoken about, and then all of a sudden, the guys that you would say, you know, the, 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 you were fighting with downtown, they get to sergeant major, and it's like, you know, they're bringing you, you know, you've been brought the army into disrepute and how dare you, you know, you've shamed your name and you're like, fucking hell mate, six months ago I was kicking doors in with you and, you know, running around, running around Helmand province. What do you expect? Mm. Like, yeah, we've not changed. <laughs> uh, and mm. it was hard to deal with. I and mean, that's why a lot of my, my generation of guys left shit bus six months in, you know, they've gone from being an Afghan to getting picked up for having their, their cat badge hasn't been shined or, you know, they've got the wrong laces in their boots or, you know, something, something minuscule like that. Blokes just snapped, uh, I think that was maybe the first sign for, for looking back, the first sign that people were going to start struggling a little bit, or there was going to be a wave of a wave of things coming on from there. With just how you got dealt with when you came home, or again, you've got this poor twenty-one-year-old officer who wasn't on tour with you. Now is in charge of your platoon. Like good luck, mm. but he take he approaches it the wrong way, and he just gets alienated straight away, and then you just turn more rebellious. Yeah, on on the opposite side. Yeah. Hey, devil's advocate, I couldn't fucking imagine being a 21-year-old dude walking into a, a post-Afghan platoon, three or boys that have been in there for and together for eight years, you know, and walking in and be like, no, you're in charge of them. You, you would be, my arsehole would be doing fives and fifties, mate. Yeah, mate, I'll be exactly the same. Fuck that. But at the no same chance. time, like... But then again, that's where... Go on, sorry. Oh, no, so you go, mate, you go. I can talk shit any time. I was just going to say, but then again, that's where you deal with it. You, you've got a bit of social intelligence or you sort of work the situation out and you just, it's not hard to wing lads over, you know, fucking hell. Just right, you know, first chance you get, go out, buy the lads around the drinks, show that you, you're trying and listen to the experience you've got. What you have got there is a, 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 a people in command who have commanded men under fire. You don't get that that often. So listen to them, glean it from them. Look, you know, show that you're looking to, to learn from them and that you've, you know, stick your neck out a couple of times. If one, a couple, one or two of them are late, see that you're shown to be sort of covering for them or that you've got their back and obviously don't let them take the piss, but there's ways you can approach it. But I, I agree with you, Mex. I wouldn't want to do that job at all. The, the head would get the better of you. You don't know what Afghans like. You've heard all these stories. 
you know, you turn up, there's like, you know, the big 20 stone for G and you've heard stories of pulling people's arms off. It's just like, oh, mate, give me a break. But no, I do. I totally agree with you. Mate, all that, what I was going to say was almost exactly the same. And I, I don't think that is being taught at, at, at leadership training in the military. Like if everybody from an OR level, if you started as a digger or, or a private, whatever you want to call it, and worked your way up and you've gone overseas, been in whatever, you, gone through whatever you've gone through and then come back and some young officer walks in the room and turn, goes, boys, I'm new. I'm here to be the bot, your boss or whatever you call. I'm here to be the platoon commander. I want to learn from you boys. You've got a lot more experience than me. And then, like you said, if he sticks his neck out once or twice, he doesn't have to be a fucking alpha dog straight away. But that kind of shit is not taught. Or if it is, it's being fucking data dumped at officer training school. And I mean, that that's kind of common human. You get any group of fucking alpha type dudes in a room and go, if you send some young green thumb dude in here and he tries to become the alpha straight away, we're going to fucking eat him alive. Like, Get a dude in here that understands his place in a rank structure he's above us he's going to learn from us if he fucking respects what he can learn from us 100 percent, you're going to respect him eventually probably fucking throw shit at him for a bit but you respect him eventually and that's what they should be teaching people yeah, yeah definitely i i think the, the other thing maybe again being devil's advocate is these are young guys when i was that age it's, it's like if, if i had money when i was young i'd be a fucking dick and it would ruin me being given that much power when you're young and that age can also ruin people. You know, you're 20 years old, 21 years old, and you're walking around camp and people older than you and bigger than you and sergeants are saluting you because that's that, you know, it's, yeah. it's you have to have a good strength of character and have been brought up right and have good sets of morals to stage straight and to have the attitude that we've just said that you should have had. You know, I do understand that it would ruin you. You know, you think maybe this is how it is. You put on a pedestal, you told you're the best and, it does for a young bloke it's going to go to his head or, or ruin his ruin his um character or morals unfortunately hmm. yeah i think me at 21 years old i wouldn't it's, it's like the miley cyrus um epilogue of, of what what she went through so she was she was what she broke up with liam hemsworth she was a a pop star one of the world's biggest pop stars media free access to drugs millions and millions of dollars if i'd have broken up with liam hemsworth I probably wouldn't have come out with the best single um, with that sort of access to to the stuff that she had. I would have been I would have been fucking dead three times over. And and these young dudes have got to come out at 20 years old and lead a platoon and not fuck it up, mate. Good luck. Good yeah. luck. Rather, rather than me, for sure. Mm. So what, mate, now we've been gobbling off for the last fucking 30 minutes. Um, just... <laughs> Mate, take us through the reason. So you're on Obheric. You're a you're a sniper, which is kind of weird, anyway. Um, and just, just was to, that weird? Unpack that quickly. Was being a sniper weird, mate? You lost me because he's from heavies, mate. A heavy weapon. <laughs> <laughs> um, just take us through. Can you just? Take us through what happened in the day on your story because I, I keep we get we get sort of gob off for thirty minutes. People are like who the f people are driving their cars and like who the fuck are they talking to? And like <laughs> talking yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Why does guy keep talking about officers? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I got I got hit on on my second tour 
uh, I was a sniper, but the, my role was slightly different. So the first tour was, was ground holding. So we'd stay at patrol bases. You'd patrol out from there each time on foot. Um, and it was cat and mouse with IEDs, to be honest. You know, there's only so many routes out you can take, only so many routes back, and eventually you're going to get caught. So that was very much different. The, the second tour was something called the BRF, so Brigade Reconnaissance Force. And what we did was stay in Camp Bastion. So straight away, you've got good gym, good Wi-Fi, good food. Everyone's happy. Um, but we'd launch out from there on sort of time-sensitive intelligence or specific intelligence. So if a certain area was having a rough time or we knew there was a grouping of Taliban fighters, we'd go out on the Chinooks, we'd raid it. We'd probably be on the ground no more than eight hours. We'd sort of kill as many as we could or just clear the area, show a presence, and then we'd piss off again. I think, you know, my record for being in contact to eating ice cream was 45 minutes. So, <laughs> Which sounds fucking healthy. Yeah, no. So that that was the role. Um, it was good. You had a, more of an effect on the enemy. Anywhere you went, you knew you were going to get a scrap. So it wasn't like, you know, we've all been on eight-hour patrols before and nothing's happened. And to be honest with you, you'd want something maybe a bit kinetic. Or we went out when we were getting hot and sweaty and putting in hard work, we were going to have an effect on the enemy and do what we were there to do. So it was a very rewarding job and I was very lucky. Um, the, the, the day I got hit was July the 4th. So I had a bit of a bad feeling about that anyway, because I was just like, to be honest, you know, Americans and July the 4th, we had American air cover and I'm like, they're just going to be looking for stuff. Um, they'll, be, they'll be trying to get, get us into contact without us even knowing. Um, it's stars and strikes. And it was the last... <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. Just listening out for um, ACDC playing in the background. Um, it was the last operation as well before we went home on our two weeks R&R. &R. Nah. <laughs> and stupidly that morning, Stupid that morning, I was like, oh, well, we'll be home next week, lads. And they're like, yeah. I was like, watch one of us get whacked today. And they were like, why would you fucking say that, man? And I was just like, cracking up. Like, you're not superstitious, are you? And uh, so we went out, went to this place called Yakshaw, and three or four troops of us, so sort of a company's company size force, um, went in to clear Yakshaw. What had happened is A&A &A had gone in the week before, and they said, and this was a this was a hellhole, right? Like every time you go in there, you get you get kicked back out. ANA had gone through, so they said they cleared it, and they were like, "Yeah, there's you know, there's no one there. We've cleared it." And we were like, "Right, okay, we're going." We're yeah, going it's gospel. I take it. It's gospel. Yeah, yeah. Pack the bags, boys. ANA. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we went in. Um, so you can imagine how that works, right? So four helicopters land, and basically on four 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 sort of different locations, and you push in. So you'd expect what what was behind you to be clear because we were pushing into the hot zone. Um, my job as a sniper was to provide a, a cordon in to cover the boys assaulting forward. Um, and it sort of very quickly turned out that us, there was atmospherics behind me. And it, now it's like, well, shit, because I'm just, a, I'm, you know, we were just a sniper pair. Um, and we had a couple of guys with us for ground security, but you know, my job's facing in and that's where the threat is forward. And now all of a sudden I'm trying to hold them out from the guys, the real guys, you know, with the big weapons and, and, the, and, the, and the numbers. And it was like, fuck. So very quickly sort of came under fire from different directions, just sporadic. Um, and there was, a, there was a certain dude who, you know, the score man, but he just, he didn't show his weapon, but he was looking he was the one that moved about when something seemed to happen or you could tell you, you get an atmospheric that he's the, he's the commander or he's the guy calling the shot and he was only about 
so about three or four hundred meters away from me, which for a sniper is not not a great distance, especially in Afghan. So I sort of dialed him and then watched him for a little bit, and I asked permission to fire. No, you can't have permission to fire. He hasn't got a weapon. Rules and engagements were under um, men that you can't shoot like dickers. We call them dickers, um, and. You know, it's only really when you when you're under heavy fire that he can say, "Yeah, you have permission there and then." So he didn't give it to me, and we kept looking, kept coming under fire uh, from sort of just sporadically from different places. But the boys who were actually doing the clearing were in the free; they won't really come under anything. It wasn't anything to worry about. Uh, and then, sort of watched him again, and I said to my mate, "I was like, are we sure we don't? You know, what's that there? Is that a weapon? Like, not? I'm not admitting I was trying to commit murder, but we're trying to like." sort of Get a bend the rules of engagement bend it. the atmospherics are picking up right and it's it's either one of us is going to get ambushed or one of the boys is going to get ambushed and potentially get killed so we're really you know looking at this guy trying to sort of work something out and let's just let's nothing, just nothing. clarify this this isn't so you're sitting in afghan um you are you are born in afghan you have grown up around probably for the last 10 years western soldiers coming in getting in contact you know sticking your head out in a fucking gunfight, probably if you weren't born in Afghan, is a bad idea. Sticking your head out in a gunfight yeah. with, Westerner, with, with Westerners and your own local countrymen and then fucking swinging off a telephone, you fucking know that you shouldn't be there and you shouldn't be doing yeah. it, mate. So just everyone's like, oh, maybe he was just trying to get the bloody local footy scores. No, mate. Yeah, yeah. An Afghan with, with binoculars around his neck isn't there to do bird watching. <laughs> he's looking positioned. He's, yeah. he's calling in positions, right? And you know, this is one of those raids where this was a this was a naughty place. We knew we were going to get in the shit. So as we came in, the women and children left. So you know, anyone that's left in there is hostile, or he's there. He's not, you know, he's not there to buy football tickets. He's there for a fight. So this this is why the atmosphere is building up. Like I said. Um, this is all at like half six in the morning, right? And I'm already thinking like, fuck, why did I say that on the flight line about one of us getting hit? And like, Shit. So, um, and then all of a sudden, just like bang, 15 firing points opened up. I mean, I, I'm sure it was at everyone else, but at, at this point in time, it felt like it was at my head. Um, sort of roof splashing up around us. Um, and, you know, five seconds, probably just my ass just dropped didn't say anything trying to suck air in just you know was in fucking shit state um then then you start to have a look and you're trying to work out where these firing points are and we had a machine gunner with us he's rattling off rounds i've got a a, a five round magazine in the bolt action sniper rifle so you know you're not just going to start suppressing suppressing targets and you're just trying to pick out people i can actually shoot um and then Obviously, I've, I've sent it over the radio. I was sort of the, the commander in the local area, like section commander, so to speak. Uh, so I called that in on the radio um, and just, just basically, yeah, you just need to hold it for now because the guys are about to breach into another building and just hold your, hold your corner. No dramas. So no dramas. About four seconds later, uh, Trace around came smashing through my neck. Um, initially, went in front of my friend and just as he, it sort of fizzed in front of his face, um, and as soon, he literally had the beginning of the word "fuck," and then I, I just felt it. It's like being struck by lightning. Um, honestly, I imagine this. It's I don't know. It's like being struck by lightning. The kinetic energy of something hitting you like that, it just sort of like a like a lightning bolt. Um, yeah, God knows what it's like being in the ring with Mike Tyson, but I don't want to be there. 
um, sort of whiplashed a lot. Um, instantly felt felt something in my throat as if as if you've ever tried to t- tackle someone bigger than you in rugby and he just cleans you out and you're like winded and strained. That's what it felt like. Um, and then I, I sort of was trying to gather myself, but as I was looking around, the, the roof's ripping up around me. So you just rolled, right? Just rolled, 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 fell off this roof and um, a bit of humour to the situation. I sort of landed on my feet and I'm like, how the fuck have I managed that? And I turn around and there's this fucking poor goat, all four legs like sprawled out with its back snapped in half. And I've, I've just like, obviously rolled off the roof, landed on this goat who's just, the poor thing's just trying to, uh, trying to like grab some grass or whatever. <laughs> and he's just had this 100 kilo meathead just plowed through with body armor the lot. Um, but hey, it kept me on my feet, stopped me breaking my neck. So, so um, hang on, let me get this straight. You get, the, the, the Western Front's <laughs> opened up. You've got a, a five-round bolt-action sniper rifle. It's good for fuck all against that many people. You get shot in the fucking neck. You roll off a roof, fall, land on a goat, break its fucking neck. Mate, this day in general hasn't given me much trauma, like, mind-wise. I'm fine. It was me that got hurt, not a friend. All, honestly, when I watch the footage back, I've got the footage. I'll send it to you guys after this. All you hear after this kicked off is the goat in the background. And I'm like, oh, it's terrible. It's in shit. Oh, poor goat. It is in shit state. And every time I kept, I, you know, you run past and I had, I thought, I just pull my pistol out and put, put it out of its misery. But I, you, you don't, right? Because you're running around doing whatever. And I was like, oh, man, I just, I hear it. And it's it's such a baby goat as well. If it was an old goat, I'd be like, get on with it. But, you know, I had his whole life ahead of me. <laughs> Oh, that's a story. What out of everything you did in Afghan, what haunts your dreams? Oh, it's this one goat. It's just this one goat. That's this goat, man. You fuck one goat. Oh, mate. That is a fucking story and a half. So you're laying, having broken the back of a goat, shot through the neck, um, and you're sitting there. What the fuck is going like? Are you, is, are you pissing blood at this stage? And, and what the fuck is going through your mind? Yeah. So I, I, I remember standing up and I'm like breathing. I'm like, I'm fucking breathing. And then as I said that, I'm like, I'm fucking talking. So I'm like, my head's going a million miles an hour, as you can imagine. Adrenaline's going through. I'm like, I, I can't have been shot in the throat. I'm still breathing. I'm still talking. I'm, I feel all right. I wasn't feeling faint. And I put my, my hand to my neck. Claret or blood is all over my hand. And I can feel two flaps of skin. And I've got my mate who's on the machine gun. You know, excellent soldier. He, he's putting down a rate of fire. And he keeps looking back like, Sai, Sai, you're right. Because he needs to work out. Like, is he dead? What, what's going on? And I, I lift my throat up. And I'm like, Ash, how bad is it? And he's just like, man. <laughs> what does that mean? More than that, mate. Like, how bad is it? Is it, is it pissing out? And he's like, mate, he's like straight through your neck. I'm like, I know it's from my fucking neck. How bad is it, mate? Like, tell me here, because I can't see how much blood is pissing out. I'm starting to panic. And he's like, oh, man. <laughs> Just fucking say some more than that. Um, but eventually he worked out that, um, well, it's, it's pretty simple for me. Two minutes in, I'm not a medic. I can't see my own neck. So two minutes in when you're still breathing, you're still... Um, you're not feeling faint, you're still talking, you've just got to roll with it, right? Um, so, I mean, we just carried on fighting. I, they were pretty close to the compound, there were grenades coming over the wall. 
uh, and stupid. We had like a, a combat camera team with us, so like they're, they're soldiers, but they've got like they're like media soldiers. Like they're soldiers, but they've gone like me. They're on the combat camera team, so they had this camera, and this is sort of kicking off. It's all going mad, and then I jumped over the wall um, to where they were, and like we had like our ground security within the compound because I'm I'm gonna like put the blokes where they need to be and stuff like that because it's it's on top. And uh, he's got his camera in my face, and I'm like, and he's like, fucking hell, mate, you've been shot. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking have. So put the camera down, grab your rifle, <laughs> and like, get like, For fuck's sake, like, in the night, he was a lovely bloke, and, he, and you know, he got stuck in after that, but you know, I'm like, fucking bleeding, and he's like, that. <laughs> like, fuck you, yeah, man. Get on that fucking door, man. They are literally throwing grenades um, over the wall. I would recommend <laughs> getting your rifle and start shooting people, mate. This isn't special effects, mate. It's fucking Terry on the other side of that thing. And he's throwing things that are going to kill you. Um, so I've caught it in on the radio. Um, and I've, I've got some awesome footage again of the, the medic who was with the main guys doing the assault. Um, he heard it on the PRR. He didn't even wait for the radio. So like your personal radio, sorry. So like your, your sort of walkie-talkie, unsecure means that you can just talk to each other within the patrol. He managed to pick it up on that. Um, and he just got up and ran. He just got up and ran, ran through firing points and just ran on his own. Um, he, he's a good friend of mine anyway, heard it was me, so he ran straight through. So I called it in on the radio and I'm running around like a blue ass fly. I didn't know what day of the week it was, to be honest with you, mate. I've been shot and we're, in, we're under a heavy contact. I'm just trying to put blokes wherever. Um, and and just an, an Astra machine gun I had a massive rate of fire down, which you know enabled me to do that. And just we're just getting a grip of what was going on. And before I could even sort of work out what, what was happening, Wes came running through the door on his own. And as he runs up, he's like hanging. He's just done sort of 400 meters in full kit, at full sprint through firing positions. Uh, and then he just cracked a joke and was like, every day's a legs day. <laughs> uh, it's quite a famous thing for him now, he's, you know, for doing that. Um, and then as soon as I saw him, I was looking at his eyes, right? Because you know, you know that medic's look. You know when someone's fucked and they look back and they go, "Yeah." Like I was like looking. I'm like, he does this. I'm waiting for him, and he looked and he's like, he's like, "Don't worry about it. I've got you." And that's that's all he said. Uh, and for me, then panic was over. Uh, I had I had a mad five minutes of panic. You know, as soon as he said that, I was like, he's either got a really good poker face or 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 it is going to be all right. Um, I was very lucky. Like I said, I had Ash the machine gun next to me anyway, so there was never any fear. And hey, it's, you know, well, how I was brought up, when you get punched and, you know, in a club, even if it's ego, you get back up because you don't want to be embarrassed, right? Or, you know, it's whatever that reason is in a guy, you know, I've thought about it loads and, you know, you can put it down to ego, honestly. You get straight back fucking up and you keep fighting. And so you didn't have time to be scared or, or for anything like that because you know someone just punched you and the annoying thing was is i knew who the fucker was who'd shot me it was that dude all along because the way it, the, the direction it had come from he was the only guy in that direction right and i was like the lone compound sort of the only place it could have happened so just anger sets in aggression whatever um adrian i listened to your podcast or podcast you in the past and you said like the western mentality for soldiers is this meanest hardest cowboy mentality and it really resonates that's exactly what it was get the fuck up get going because this you know this has happened now we all got off like going to afghan this is it you know you need to fight so you got your boys around you and then like said, as soon as wes got to me complete calmness where's the medic um complete calmness he he absolutely owned it um and just that professionalism there put me at ease and the situation was getting better every, every minute from then so when you're running around 
you you haven't you haven't thrown bandage on yet. You're just running around with holes in your neck for five minutes. Go, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. sort of, fucking yeah. oh, good to go. Well, again, it was it was another it was another thing of that, right? It's if I'm gonna die in five minutes, I need to fucking go out of the bank. Because so far, all I've done is lay down, get shot at, and fucking kill a goat. Right, my little brother's not gonna hear about that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I need to get a regain quick. I'm coming out. Um, so did you did you get the guy? So that did was it. So yeah, so I did the classic. We had like a sixty-six missile. I fucking had that in my day, so I've been lumping that thing around the whole of Afghan. I was like, this is my chance to get it off. So I popped it and I was like, double check that we're gonna fire it backwards in the heat of the moment. Like um and I went to fire it in the doorway and just had a hail of bullets spray up, so I popped that off and then and then had to start actually fighting and stop being a hero and thinking you're fucking Arnie and Predator. But um, yeah, so that said, once the medic had patched me up, the rest of the section, rest, rest of the platoon, so the whole platoon in the end came came running back. Um, and then we obviously, you've now got sort of platoon strength holding a building. This is, this is the bread and butter of the guys. You know, the section commanders were breaking down arcs. We held it and we put a big rate of fire down and started suppressing those positions. The medic had patched me up and now had a bandage on. Um, so. I, I said, I know where the guy is. I'm going to try and crack him. And I think I had covering fire from the lads. I popped out from a doorway and the silly cunt man, he, he'd hit me, but he hadn't moved. So, you know, because obviously if he'd seen me roll off the roof, he thought he'd scored a kill. So he thought the only person who knows I'm here is dead. So he'd obviously stayed there. Uh, yeah. So I, I drilled him, um, got a bit carried away with myself, went to put a second round into him and his mate come out and, and fired a burst and one thing <laughs> no. yeah yeah so I, I i bolted again out of the door and then i sat down and i said to myself like you're taking the fuck instantly thought that goat i was like that goat's already fucking playing playing murder for my my karma my luck um well there's two ways to look at it isn't it it's, so, either, yeah. it's either it's getting closer i've got to be careful or Today I'm fucking invincible. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. You got a golden <laughs> ticket today. Go for it. Um, no, that wound my neck right in after that. I was fucking, you know, come back helmets like this. I was like, um, today yeah. is not a good day to die. That was not a good day, mate. So, do you think your, your upbringing? So, the, fuck. There's so many questions, mate. But the first one is that there's a couple of there was this. Uh, there's like a training at the speed of light by um, uh, Paul Murray or I can't remember his name. Keggs, look him up, mate. He's training at the speed of light. Uh, and this guy, he's about reality-based training, right? And he is about how you act in training is, is how you'll act in the incident uh, in regards to, do you know when you're going through basic training, you're like, yep, you've been shot. You're the enemy. You now have to lay down and play dead. Um, right, and and these sort of things kept happening yeah. to army guys. They would they would in training. Like, yep, I have now been shot. I need to lay down and play dead. And they were building these subconscious routines into their methodology and and mindset. And and as an opposition to that, um, and so the casualty rate was higher, and people were dying from wounds that they or not fighting on from wounds that they probably should have been. I got shot in the arm. People don't know contextually that getting shot in the arm doesn't mean I'm going to die, nor does it mean that I can't keep fighting. And then they give up. Um, 
and these guys were going through this sort of stuff and laying down and there was a whole retraining process through the Australian Army where they're like, if you get shot, you keep fighting until someone says you can't, until you can't. So shot in the arm, you know, there was a whole different medical process that we would go and teach people, like tactical combat casualty care. Can you keep fighting? Throw them a gat. You can keep fighting as opposed to lay down. You've now been wounded. I will treat you. And and there was a good example of a, of a lady who had never gone through military training. She was a, a New York police officer and she was getting married in a week and she was doing a door entry on a drug dealer or whatever, whoever the fuck it was. And uh, she got fucking stitched. As soon as she opened the door, like it wasn't a room entry per se, it was just a, you know, an entry notice. She got stitched like three or four times through the chest cavity and she lay there and she was like, I'm getting married in a week. I'm not fucking dying. I'm going to get up and keep moving forward, right? But had she have gone through more rigorous basic training in the New York police force, they'd have been like, no, you have to lay down and die. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, lay down and wait for assistance, I think, is what the training uh, yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. So lay down, you've now been shot, you can't do anything, you're out of it. And she was like, no, fuck no. I'm going to keep moving forward. And does that correlate to you? Like growing up, you're like, you know, you in a bar fight and you're like, I gotta lay down and get chicken kicked or I just get up and keep going. Yeah. I mean I think most of us who ended up joining the military are like that. I mean, if I if you get punched, if you, if you can still fight, you get up and fight. You, you know, it's pride, it's it's how I was brought up. I mean, my my parents are very very similar. My dad's like like that. Not a fighter, just you know, pride, keep your head held high. Whatever you do, do it well doesn't matter what you are, just be the best you can, you know, hold your head up. It's not about how much you earn or anything, you know, you could, you could sweep the streets, just be a good sweep, you know, be a good sweeper and, and do the best you can. Um, but again, I, I'm not going to lie to you boys. I've thought about this a, a lot and I think it's that male ego. I mean, and it's that in that situation for me is manipulating that male ego. So hang on. And what let's, not, it's, let's it's, not, let's not, <laughs> mate, I'm going to fucking be a triggering mother. Are we talking male ego? Or are we talking toxic masculinity? Because, <laughs> right now, brother, I'm with you. I'm 100 percent with you. But the same thing you're calling, you're calling male ego, which drove you to fight and keep moving forward, and the pride stuff, which I believe in. I'm with you. I'm on the same page. Now people are calling toxic masculinity, and they're like, "There's no place for it in the military." What's your fucking answer? Those people. <laughs> <laughs> enough said, mate. Enough said. But if I can jump in for two seconds, right? So, I mean, I did bring that up on the podcast with Coves, and we, we've, me and Max have talked about it a lot. The the Eastern culture versus Western culture. That Western culture is you. You're trying to encourage young boys to join the military, brainwash them to want to be the biggest, baddest motherfuckers on the planet with the cowboy model, chew bubble gum, take no shit, fuck everyone up. That's what cowboys do. Eastern culture is more humble, I'm at peace with myself, and I will cut your head off if I have to. What no one has really broken down is, on the Western model, we call it ego, and on the Eastern model, we call it pride, but it is the same thing. You fuck up a Japanese dude, his entire family, through pride, will come after you, and they will not go down without a fight. Or you punch them in the dick, they're going to get up, and they're going to keep coming at you because of pride. They won't call it ego, they'll call it pride. Western model... You punch me in front of my mates, like you said. If there's no one else around, I'm probably going to have a fucking silk in the corner. But if the boys are there, it'll be like I'm on meth because you're not going to stop until you're dead. Like, 
there has to we have to yeah. acknowledge that without no matter what military you are, no matter what culture you come from, east or west, cowboy or fucking um, warrior monk, we're using the same biological process of going. There's a part in their fucking psyche that males need to be dominant. Any male who's going to join the military in any culture in the world, we, they're using that to train us. And, and whether they know it or not, and it's what they're drawing out in this when you, you're going to get in gunfights, you're going to do whatever you've got to do that's not natural because normally a natural response for humans is to want to survive. But warlike scenarios, they're drawing on that fucking ego or pride to go, I'm 99% of the way dead, but I'm going to keep fucking moving forward. And that toxic, calling it toxic masculinity, I know it's shifting gears, but there is a need for it because without it, no one goes to fucking guns. Toxic masculinity is is the word you use in a normal society, you know, and you could even argue if you're in a corporate sense, for example, but you're at fucking war. Um, and I'll add another dimension to the reason I got up is in my head, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm holding that, that quarter, you know, that corner, and there's, I don't want to let the lads down. It's also, I don't want to look like a bitch and I've just killed a fucking goat. It's probably the only reason I stood up because I heard it scream if we get down to the nitty gritty. But, you know, I, you don't want to let the lads down. I don't want to be seen as a bad soldier. You know, this again links back to what we're saying about living in the block. You're all living together. I don't want to let them boys down. Um, even though I wasn't really. But, you know, that's, that's how it is in your head. And moving back to your point, you know, toxic masculinity, 100%, it does exist. You know, it exists at home, but you're not. You're in Helmand province, and that man wants to kill you. You want to kill him. He's trained to kill you. You're trained to kill him. And it's you're now there and there. Don't talk about toxic masculinity. You know, it's, there's no place for it. I've been shot. I need to get up and fucking kill him, or my mum is going to be getting a letter and a knock on the door later today. Simple as that, isn't it? You know. Hundred um, percent, mate. Hundred percent. I, I couldn't agree more. And there's, there is no. I mean, every soldier I've ever spoken to, it's always the same deal. It's like, what, what is your reason to be wanting to fight? And it's always for the boys next to you. And that's for the same reason where I said, like, if I, if you're in a bar by yourself and someone chins you and you're on the ground and no one else is around, there's a fifty-fifty shot. I'm like, oh fuck, I'm just going to sleep on the floor here for a bit. No need for it. Yeah, and it, exactly. And I, I mean, I don't want to go straight from the, uh, telling sick stories into the depressing stuff, but I think that's part of the problem with, with suicide, right? When you don't have your mates around and you're getting kicked in the guts all the time, sometimes you just fall in the corner and you're like, I'm just going to, like the chick punching through the door in, in New York City, I'm just going to lay here till it's all over. Versus if all the boys are there, I don't yeah. give a fuck how shit my days or how tough things are. I'm getting up because I'm with the boys. And there's other people to look out for. I think there's, there's, there's way more to that than, than think, we're fucking currently giving credit. Like the tribal scenario and the ego of young men, there's way more at play there than, than fucking what we're looking at at the moment. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's, it's your reason to fight, right? It's, whatever that is, that's why you get back up. But... Mex, what you said with the training, um, with the you know the chick who went through the door and and, and got smashed. Uh, we had a, 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 a case when I was on my first tour of Afghan. Um, I won't mention his name. He, he was a he was a triple amputee um, from an IED blast, and he was kept alive and he was with it. You know he was with it. Um, the helicopter coming in to extract him, um, a rocket propelled grenade fired. Helicopter bank banked 
one of the rotor blades clipped the tree, helicopter crashed. His helicopter that was going to take him out. He looked to his left, saw that helicopter crash, and he passed away. So, with regards to what you're saying there, it was, that for me was very interesting. Of you know, we've not not many of us have had situations like that. You know, they say don't look at the light, or you're trying to hold on. He was holding on. He was coherent, and then all of a sudden he saw that crash, and it's like, that's it. Just gave up, or the, the situation changed, and it didn't. In, in his mind, it was just this is now mm. unattainable. Um, it's, it's it's really interesting, and it's you know because you brought it up like that, yeah. It's, it's really interesting me the source, the science behind it. I guess like there obviously is people can hold on, or you know when they say people are in comas and they say oh he's a fighter or she's a fighter, but you do get people like that, and you do get people that maybe it's a bit too much for them. Or I don't know, man. But yeah, um, yeah I mean um, I've got a couple of mates up in Darwin here, and and they said hey, there's this new documentary out. It's on Netflix. I think it was Netflix. And it's called Last Breath. And uh, it's about this, they're sat divers, kind of like Tristan Rose from Blind Tiger. They do deep diving, but they're hooked up with pipes to a bell and, and you know, they spend months at pressurized, whatever. The, the fact of the matter is once your umbilical's cut, you're fucking dead. There's no tanks on your back. You've got like little baby tanks to get you back to the bell. This guy's, um, the, the, the ship's navigation system failed drag the fucking lines across this structure, cut the lines, this guy is done, right? <clears throat> for tw So he's out of oxygen for 22 minutes. He's fucking legally dead for 22 minutes, mate. 22 minutes, someone, they managed to get back to him. They've still got footage. They get this guy back. They get him back in the bell. They start doing mouth-to-mouth -mouth on him, and he comes back to life. 22 minutes without oxygen. Dead. The guy wow. just wanted to live, right? And and yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm trying to figure out the the difference between you getting shot in the neck and going, I fucking I'm just gonna lay here and someone can help me. I've been shot in the neck now, that's my fucking that's my get out of jail free card. I can just lay down and not do anything. Um or is it you motherfucker, I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna kill you. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm gonna keep moving forward and I'm not gonna let my mates down. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's a mixture of things, right? It's the panic. It's the the unit I, I went out with, like the Brigade Reconnaissance Force, are all some very close friends. But they're also like I was very lucky that, you know, they say like you are the five people you've most spent time with, right? Like there were some very professional guys. There were a lot of role models within that that group. Even you know guys below me, sort of in the rank structure, I would look at and be like, he's fucking switched on. He's an operator. There's things I want to take from him. So. I think we just we just had a it's, this is where living together we had training together before deploying we were really tight I think that worked because it, no one wanted to drop a ball no one was dropping balls it was a professional unit and you just want to get up and, and achieve it every time and you you know when you see every, everyone striving and doing so well you want to sort of you want to try and raise the bar as well so for me I you know I'd say it was that um, sort of a bit of blind panic right like adrenaline's flushing around your legs you just want to stand up and start running. I mean, it's, you can't really run many places when you're in a compound. I don't know. It's, but for me, yeah, it was mainly the boys. You think of the boys, you're, you, you've, you're very close and, you know, you're not, you're not just going to lay down because they've got to carry you out. Yeah, the, mate, like the you last know, thing you want to do in the um, army is be a jack cunt. I don't know if you use that term in, in, in the British military, yeah. but the last thing you want to do is fuck on your mates. 
You're like, I can't die yet because then my mates are going to have yeah, to struggle. 100%. That is a motivator and a half. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe being treated like a dick in training and don't jack and don't do that. Hey, if that's what got me up, then it's, the, the system works. Mate. 100%. Right? So did they, how, did they, how did they end up getting you out? So I was on the ground for another 90 minutes because they... The British MERT, which is the medical emergency response team or uh, evacuation response team, um, they, they're in Chinooks, so the, the CH-47s. Those, those things are obviously big. They're awesome. They can't really land in, in a heavy firefight because they're, they're big old dogs. You know, they sort of land. They can't take much fire, and it takes them a little while to pull off. So we then went to Pedro. I don't know if you know them, like the PJs, the American no. PJs. Um, they're like the pararescue jumpers, they're like special forces in the US Air Force, but they're like, their training is incredible. They've gone surviving the cut and there's a series about them and it looks horrendous. Just, um, but these are guys who are trained to like parachute out, land on like stricken boats, save everyone on board until the Coast Guards get there and stuff like that. They do some cool stuff. But they got called in because they're in Blackhawks and they've got the chain gun on the side um, and, and whatnot. So they, they, they got called in and I remember me saying it's the 4th of July fuck me like as soon as they got the permission to land two uh sea cobras which is the u.s marine corps attack helicopters came over went guns empty within about 10 minutes they were just like hot shells were landing on us it's fourth of july they were just hammering rockets for fun like it was like they were back in saigon um and then uh and then then uh, we got the call that the black horse were going to land and we crawl, I sort of had to crawl out of the compound and got behind this like stack of wood for where the HLS was going to be. You know what it's like, you pop a smoke grenade for where the helicopter's going to land and a Taliban like, <laughs> yeah. everyone's on you. You're like, yeah, brilliant. Um, so when that landed, I sprinted straight past the two PJs, the two medics, because like, again, I'll show you the footage, guys, but I just sprint straight past and get on because, you know, I know I'm getting shot at. And the two PJs ran off and they're like, the medic that did the handover, <laughs> where's the dude? And they're like, he's on your fucking plane, mate. No, he's on your helicopter. I'm sat there like, and they're like, oh, fuck, so they run. And these guys were legends, to be honest. I said to them, what were you going to do? There was two of you. And they were like, we shouldn't have even landed. We lied to our boss and said, um, they lied to the boss and said that I'd now gone, I'd deteriorated and that I was on, I was on a stretcher and that I was going to die. And that's the only reason he gave me permission to land. So they landed, the helicopter was going to fuck off and then leave the two lads on the ground with us. And they, he, they were just going to keep me alive until and fight with us these two these two heroes um but i jumped on and then they were like oh he's there so then they just fucked off with me fucking but, um, legends he was cool man yeah yeah it's, it's that's this is something as well i ne- i don't know that man never gonna meet that man like, oh, i did meet him again when i come back out to afghan but you know i don't know what he's doing now he's trained all his life to save me you know, I, I'm never going to meet him again. We're from two different nations. He's American. And here I am in the shit in Afghan. And someone has put his neck on the line there to come out and save me. And when, it's when I said, what are you going to do? The helicopter is going to fly off. And they were like, we just stayed with you, man. and kept you alive. That's what we do. He, he would have just fought with a unit, just been in the shit with us. He didn't know me. Different when you're going towards, you know, even us now, we know each other sort of to some degree. You know, if you got hit in, hit in the street, mm. of course I'd run over and save you. But... You know, these boys didn't even know me and they're in the shit. We were in a heavy firefight, mate. Like, and that to me, that afterwards, I got a bit choked up thinking about it. I was like, you know, fucking hell, like, hats off to them. I know they do that day in, day out and it's, it's their job, but it's when they're doing it for you and you're like, fucking hell, man. You know, I've, I've potentially 
wasn't going to see my mum again, wasn't going to see my little brother again, and or you know all of that. And you know, if, if I have kids in the future, and if, you know, I've, I've potentially got them to thank. It's, uh, you think about it like that. Fucking oath, mate. Difficult. And if that's to- toxic masculinity, and and they're trying to fucking outlaw it in the world, mate, that's a world I don't want to live in. Like. Without dudes like that, with with balls the size of fucking um, soccer balls, like there is gonna be nothing left for yeah. Nike to put fancy music behind to motivate people to tears. Like that is exactly what heroism is all no. about. But like, yeah, did you get like how many? Did yeah, you work sure. with a lot of American dudes when you're over there? We had um, American EOD with us. Uh, within the BRF, so the Gabriel Concerts Forces role we had. Yeah, we used these guys. Um, Pal- they were called Paladin, of course, was, but they were like US Air Force EOD, and they were just a lot quicker than our EOD. The British EOD is like awesome when you've got a deliberate move and and they can take all day, cord- cord- you know, cordon off an area, make sure it's clearly searched. But when you're on the fly, you're doing quick raids. You know, these are the boys you want. They were lighter. They didn't have all the heavy equipment, and they just sort of you know, smashed a mine, um, a bar mine on the wall and got you through, or you would just deny something there and then. So they were a lot better. So we worked with them quite a lot. Um, we used to use their, we used to use the American air quite a lot because the, the CH-47s, the Chinooks were just starting to get shot up every time we went on to a job. And, you know, it's, and it's a big asset. They've only got so many in the country and you can't be risking them getting shot down because I know as well, SF used them a lot. So they get priority. And then if you can't, you know, it's just, a, it's a big war, right? So, but the, we used to go over to like the Americans and be like, and they'd be like, can, um, can we, can you drop us into this place? And they'd be like, fuck <laughs> yeah. Like when? They're like, you know, so, yeah, the, the, the commander would be like, you know, this afternoon. They'd be like, yeah, we're not doing anything. And they'd just drop us in anywhere. They didn't give a fuck. Yeah. They took great pride in it. Um, now, the reason I asked, like, we, I, I didn't have heaps they, to do with them. Like we, we saw heaps of Americans. We, we went through Kuwait on the way over. I stopped there for a week and a bit. Uh, it was an American base, Americans everywhere. When we got to, um, Tarrant out. It was us and the Dutch. Um, there was fuck all Americans at the start. There was a few at the end. We we had a bunch of Marines on a few patrols, um, but and then we saw a few a, a few of them at the end. Like there was more moving into to Tarrant out. But the reason I brought it up was like every single fucking American soldier that I met from um, Kuwait through Afghan were always of the opinion that this was their war and we were there helping out. So they would go out of their way to do anything to make sure we were okay. Like they were fucking legends. And America, like the Americans get such a bad rap as a country for, for kicking off wars and whatever, being arrogant or whatever the fucking world media says about them. But every single hum, individual human, like in the American military, went out of their way to say, thanks for being here. And fucking, they would have done anything for us. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it, it was a shock at the time, but like, hats off to them, mate. Like, they've all got big balls, or most of them do, and would go out of their way to make you happy. Yeah, I totally agree. My experience was exactly the same. I hadn't thought about it like that. They were all very kind, and they were just cool guys. I just, it's, it's. I just enjoyed it because you, you come across another military. You just you've got that thing in common. You're both out here fighting in the fucking war. I imagine it's like, you know, when groups of Vikings join together and they're like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's how I envisioned it. And it was, cool, man. but yeah, never had a bad experience with it with American military. And like, I never thought about it how you've said, but you know, it, it was their war and we were there to help. It's, um, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. They were awesome, man. They were awesome. 
the, the, the um, first like the first day, cool. man. Like obviously it's a culture shock. Like I, I'd been to Timor with the Australian Army, but that's not the same. It was just Australia peacekeeping, not the same. Landing Kuwait for like your ten days or whatever to acclimatise before going to Afghan. First day there, get off the plane, go for a piss. This American dude walks into. The, I got no idea what their rank is. It's all foreign. I've never. I, I did no research. I was a digger at the time. And this dude walks in to piss next to me. He's like, thanks for being here, man. I'm like, thank you for being here, mate. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck do I say? <laughs> I didn't get it. And then after it, they kept on saying it. I'm like, what are they doing that for? And I'm like, one, thanks for your service. is a big thing in America. But two, I hit one of them up. And they're like, no, no, no. We, we look at it like we, we started all this shit. And you guys are here to help us. So thanks for being here. I'm like, fuck. That's all right. Thanks for causing it. Because this is kind of all, awesome. all I've ever wanted right. to do. Yeah, Thanks for yeah. kicking this off. <laughs> it's also very similar to yeah. Uh, yeah. you having a, a rugby union team, right? And it's your grand final and you're like, fuck, we're two plays short. Let's get this bloke to come in. And I mean, it's good for you. You get to have a run on, right? You're going to have a run on and play a bit of footy. For them, they're like, no, no, this is our grand final. If we lose this, we lose the grand final. It's America's war. If they lose this, they're like, Hey guys, thanks for coming. Yeah, we're just Maybe. yippee shooting, going, fuck, I'm glad I get to play footy today. Strategic theory, strategic defense theory in the eyes of three fucking diggers, mate. We'll see. <laughs> Why not? Adrian, how many times have you uh, looked back at that situation and thought, thought of oh, things you could have mate, said? I thought of it a little bit. Standing there, picking it out, going, <laughs> 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 going, what is this dude taking me for? I'm trying to piss. But anyway. <laughs> No worries, Sam. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> so what have you got coming up, mate, in, in your life now that, I mean, I, I, I did read an article on, on you've made, decided to get into the property market. Is that true? It's something that's been delayed. So I, I, uh, I sold my med, I got a medal for, for what happened on the day. Uh, I sold it as soon as I got out. And I got I got a decent amount of money for it. Um, was the the plan was to buy my buy my parents' house. My parents live in a council house, so it's not theirs because they've lived in it for so long. You can get like a reduced rate, so we're going to buy it for them. And then there's no no problems there with like with with them worrying about a mortgage when they retire or you know where they're going to live, etc. Um, there's complications with regards to being on the rent list and stuff like that so that never happened so i end up putting them i've still got money aside and i, I put a, a lump of money into starting um starting my own business which is what's mate, your business mate five, give it a share there um, it's a piece of tin right what what but what, what, it's a piece of tin you've still got your replica that you wear on 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 you know remembrance day right i mean it's, it's so f for me like, there you go go mate sorry go on so for me that that medal uh he got a lot of attention because it was the right time of the war um, and, and the newspaper story was, you, you know, brothers in arms. Wes got me out of the shit. He got a medal. I got a medal for it went down. It got a lot of attention, got a lot of, you know, we were in the papers and it was a nice headline, I think, for the public to get behind as opposed to, you know, the amount of deaths that have been coming over. Me personally, I've, hey, look, I'm not going to turn it down. It done my career as a lot of favours. Any course I suddenly wanted to go on, I got on. With regards, you know, I want to go on sniper commanders. Colonel's like, oh, golden boy, he can do it. I'm not, not going to take that away. And, and I'm very proud to have met the Queen and to have got a medal. There are 10 people, I think, that day alone who should have got something higher than me. 
or should have I could have happily not got anything and I would have recommended him 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 and him um, and there's also people who didn't come home who who fucking hey you know I'd, I'd have given that medal to up to bring them home or or they should have had something like that um, and when I got, when I got told I was going to get a medal I thought it was for something else there was a, a real bad day where one of our boys got hit um, and sadly passed away and I thought it was to do with that because that was something that I was heavily involved with and that for me that was that was me being I'd say brave or really having to dig in you know that was a shit day we had to get through it and then when it was for that for, for the getting shot and stuff and, and, it, and then it got made up and it was a bit of a, a glory story and stuff uh, and I'm still dealing with you know the, the death you know the death of my friend and and the boys that got hurt I don't know fuck all to do with that medal man as soon as I left, I sold it. Um, as soon as I left, I sold it. And what pissed me off is the regiment rung me um, and said, that you, when I was trying to sell it, they're like, you have a duty to give it to the regimental museum. And I was like... <laughs> for double. For, you know, yeah, double <laughs> so that there's two people who yeah. want it. Price just yeah. went up. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's competition now. So for me, guys... And, and I knew what it was fucking worth. And I'm not from a good, I'm not from a rich background. You know, I'm from a good background. I've, I've brought up well, I've got a good family, but that money's life changing. I wouldn't be where I am now without selling that and having to start my business. You know, I've got money aside for a house as of when I do want to buy one. But yeah, no, you know, it's a no brainer for me. And the pride wasn't there. The pride, the pride for me is, you know, it's me speaking to my five closest friends or the five closest army guys and them thinking I'm a good guy. I couldn't give a fuck about the medal or, you know, parading around with it. Um, like you said, I've still got my replica. Um, I've got a girlfriend now, so I don't even need to parade around with that. <laughs> like, you know, there's no use. You're like a pink cushion in your eye, mate. Oh, good. This mate, what are you doing now? What's what's the life of Rogan's podcast? So I work in uh, working outside broadcasting. Uh, so essentially, like last year, we rig we rig stadiums for filming. So I was at the Rugby World Cup last year in Japan. Uh, we went around each stadium, facilitated the filming. So we, we put the cable in, the microphones, the cameras. We sort of put the infrastructure in to, through it to be broadcast. Uh, and, and that's what we do. So, mate, a lot of sport. It's, it's a good job, man. I'm, I'm very fortunate. A lot of sport. You know, I was in Japan last year for the World Cup, World Cup final. Um, obviously, COVID's put a bit of a hit on it sort of the last year or so, but still getting by. Um, and, yeah, it's a pretty good job. Very similar. You're on the road with like-minded guys, and there's a lot of travel. So you're you know, traveling at the moment for work, I'm, mate. You know, that's that's the reason. I see. I see. Of course. Yes, mate. Everything's work. Of course. Work. Of course. So what about, mate? Sorry, Max. If you're about to drop more questions, fighting minds. Can you give our like in Australia? We we've thrown the the logo around a bit, but no one in Australia really has, has heard too much about it. Do you want to give everyone a rundown of what fighting minds are doing? Yeah. So. Fighting Minds are essentially um, a company that look, or not company, they're, they're a charity or organisation that look to help ex-servicemen or ex-emergency services get into work. Um, and then we sort of more breached out in, or reached out into sort of homeless veterans. We looked into it. There's a lot of veterans who are homeless within London. So, you know, even if it's a thing of just going down, having a chat with him, having a brew with him, and then getting him on a laptop and helping him apply for work, um, there's a, there's an access to work scheme within the government that when someone gets referred and they meet the certain criteria, you get a chunk of money that we can then use our contacts with regards to putting them on courses. We've got relationships with big companies who do ex-servicemen schemes and stuff like that. So it's all about getting them into work. Um, 
and, and you know, getting them back on their feet and then having that support. We've got a team of, of counsellors and psychologists that we can sort of do workshops with them for. And, and essentially when they come to us, they get their own psychologist or, or counsellor who is, is assigned to them. You can hit them up anytime. It's very personal or sort of very casual. And that's what they do. They just have someone assigned to them. They know they've got people thinking of them and, and we're just that introducing that safety net again. And then also using your contacts to try and put them in the right direction and get them back into a bit of work. And, you know, soldiers and ex-servicemen will give them that little bit and they'll find their feet straight away. They've got pride. They want to get up. They want to look good. They want to, you know, keep going. So, you know, if they're on a bit of a hard time, we just sort of put them in directions, you know, as if to say, go through that door, mate. There's someone you want to speak to and, and let them do it. So that's 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 the, the aim there. Yeah, it's golden. It's, fighting minds is going all right. Hell, it's, it's been, I mean, I've, I've only known about it for a year or so, but... It sounds like it's going well. Yeah, the COVID has, has slowed things down a bit, just as, as you get with everything. Everything's slowed down, right? Um, so that's sort of put a little bit of a, of a where we'd want to have been, sort of what we already said we would have been 12 months ago to where we are now, maybe not, but that's, that's just COVID. Yeah, I mean, COVID, I, yeah. I think probably when we first met you, January last year, we are like, yeah, we're going back to Australia, prepping for this big stomp. We're going to walk around Australia. If it's successful, 2021, we'll come to the UK, we'll do a walk around UK. And then a week before uh, we stepped off in Australia, COVID hit and we did fuck all for a year. Well, not fuck all, but we didn't, we didn't do any walking, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but, mate, the goal is still there. And I'm, I, I, we, our aim is, I mean, we, COVID was a fucking blessing in disguise for, for Swiss 8 because it made everybody pay attention to mental health. Like, the original battle for us was... The veteran space, we know there's mental health is an issue. Let's build this tool, give it out to everyone. Um, even when we first kicked off, government, um, all the RSLs, the big organisations were like, why do we need apps and tech products? As soon as COVID hits, everyone's isolated and stuck at home. They're like, mental health's our biggest problem and we need to go digital. And we're like, yeah, no worries, fuckheads. That's what we were talking about 12 months ago. But it's... but. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know those dudes have been knocking on your door for the last two years trying to get attention? Yeah, start paying attention. But like, so that meant we were lucky. We, we could keep operating in the way that we were through COVID. Um, obviously, the stomp got canned, but definitely in the future, bro, like Swiss 8 and, and, and Fighting Minds love to do more stuff together. Don't know if, what the goal is to, if you're staying in, in the UK or if partnerships in Australia or vice versa, we'll, we'll come to you as soon as the borders are open. Um, but collaborations between Australian and, and British veterans organisations definitely on the cards. So uh, something else I'd like to talk to you about is the last six months, um, one of my good friends, he, he's come out of the military. Uh, he was um, he was kicked out of the army, so medically discharged for PTSD. He found that any of the networks or the, the help that the army um, did for him didn't work. So he sort of sort of self-taught um, or, you know, found his own ways. So from that, when, when he left, he decided to start up his own thing. And he, so he started a charity now called Head Up. Um, and what's interesting is he, he's talking to me about the sort of the eight pillars of health, for example, and stuff like that. And so I'm straight away like, fuck, man. So he's, um, he's an advocate of your app. He uses it all, you know, all the time, gets a lot from it. But um, he essentially is started up head eight uh, head up <laughs> head, yes, head the name as well he started up, um, 
And so he, his plan to just kick this off massively when COVID allows is to run oh, around. Oh, mate, tell him. I mean, he, I think Cobes linked us in, um, in on WhatsApp, and we've got to we've got to have a chat sometime soon. Yeah. But whatever we can do, I mean, we're we're not um, printing money by any means, but we're slowly getting support for some from some big companies and 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 getting to the UK and whatever we can do to support it, hundred percent. Definitely, the the the. the the good thing about this is in this day and age is technology and with us, with regards to say head up advertising your or pushing your app forward, it, this just spreads like wildfire. This is the good thing in, in this day and age and, and mm. people are doing it more and more because of COVID. You know, all we are, what are we doing? We're on our laptops or on the TVs or on your phones. It's, you know, so um, yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of similarities between head up and Swiss 8 and where they want to go and what they want to do. And um, I think, you know, I mean, the guy's interesting anyway, right? He's done like seven tours of, of Iraq, so Afghan, and wherever on else. Next. So, uh, for a yarn. Well, and, you and have to give us a link in, mate, after so this. Yeah, 100%. Um, even if it's a Zoom call, yeah. just for an introduction and then go from there. Um, but he's on Cobes's, he's on Cobes's podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cobes well. was saying we have so, to have a chat. We've got to make England to bloody Thailand to Sydney. We'll, we'll get the time squared away somehow. So I think Cubs is working <laughs> Outside of getting the time squared away, out of the eight principles of Swiss eight, um, wh- what is, what is the one thing for you that you fucking nail? What's the, that's the most important. If there's eight pillars there and you're like, you know what, they're all bullshit, but that one resonates with me. What's the one that resonates with you? Oh, I like it. Good answer. <laughs> it's they they all resonate, they're all good. If I haven't slept properly, there's no point in me meditating. My head's going to be fried. There's no point in me training. I'm going to be useless. You know, if what you need to do before you try and progress onto any of them is sleep. And then and then I'm good to go for the others. That's my opinion. Mate. Um but yeah, that's that's how that's that's what it's 100% sure, correct. Right? And it's the one thing in the military, like they teach you, if you if you're gonna do anything, just do fitness, 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 fitness. And then nutrition in the military is dog shit. But they're like, oh, you got to eat. Like every, when you go at bush, um, even though the food in a ration pack is dog shit, they're like, at least once a day, take time to eat. No one gives a fuck about sleep. And then you get out and you keep those habits with you and you're like, oh, the, the, a, a benchmark of a tough, hardened dude is I can go three days without sleeping and still operate. And I'm like, yeah, cool story, bro. But in reality, like um, we, we regurgitate this uh, quote a fair bit now. I can't remember. What's the dude's name, Keegan? The dude who wrote that book, Why We Sleep? Whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll bring him up later. But he, he's a, obviously a sleep doctor and he's like, you've got fitness – the, the primary focus for if you're trying to live a healthy lifestyle, you've got fitness, you've got nutrition, you've got sleep, a little bit of mindfulness meditation. He goes, do a week without all of those and tell me which ones suck the most. And it's like, don't train for a week, you're okay. Don't eat for a week, you'll survive. It's called fasting. Don't meditate. Yeah, who gives a fuck? Don't sleep. You are fucked, mate. You do not sleep for a few days in a row. Yeah. Everything falls apart. 100%, but that's yeah, a rare answer, bro. Not many people put their hand up and go, yeah, no, it's sleep. I think that's some serious interest. I think I've, the guy you were talking about, the doctor, I think I've listened to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Rogan's he podcast. Matthew Walker, his, his book is yeah. fucking outrageously good. Yeah. 
it's scary. It, like, like you said, if you get under six hours sleep, like your your cancer fighting cells the following day, they reduce to something like a third or something terrifying like that. And you know, you literally, like you said, the dude who goes on exercise or goes out in the bush and doesn't sleep for five days, <laughs> years off his life. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're a nice one. Try telling your grandkids. You won't have any because you'll be dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you won't be around to see him. Oh, oh mate. So um, where you? Fantastic getting you on, mate. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to link up and and talk some more shit later on. Um, where can we find Fighting Minds? Where is that? And and what's going on? Fighting Minds is they've, they've got the website. Um, I'll, I'll send you all this afterwards. They've got the website. Um, they're all on they're on the social media. Um, like I said, and, and if you want, the, if you ever want to speak to the founder of Fighting Minds, Dan, he's a, he's a great bloke. I've served with him as well. Um, he's great. Um, likewise with Head Up, Head Up's huge at the minute because he's, he's trying to build the build the sort of media backing and the PR with regards to this giant run. Because um, his, his whole aim for the run is to do it unsupported, and he's relying on staying yeah. in someone's house every night. And by that, he's going to meet someone. He's going to talk to them about mental resilience, talk to them about things they might have done, and. But every night he's that's a ballsy that. move. That's like that young bloke again. Going, but everyone goes back to Rogan's podcast. He got that young bloke on that that ran through China, and he's like, "When I kicked off, I, I was just knocking on doors, meeting people, and camping in their front yard." I'm like, "Good fucking luck doing that in Sydney. How's he going to get through London?" Well, it's, it's, it's all around the coast. So on, on some of them, you give me the north tip of Scotland. There's not going to be a house for like thirty miles. But he's already planned his route. He's got a checkpoint for each day. And essentially, he's already had people assigned to that. I'm going to be here on this time. I know. And, and he'll have a, a small team with him. But his main point is, it's, it's not about the run. It's about getting the coverage around the country. And he wants to talk to people if they've had bereavement, if they struggle with mental health. He wants to give a little bit back and then talk to legend. them about heads up. He's just a self-made. That's a sick idea. That's what he wants to do. Um, yeah. I mean, hats off to him. And this is, you know, this is his idea. We, we've said, you know, you maybe need a support team and you, there'll be certain times you have hotels, you'll need rest days here. And he's like, no, he's, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm okay. doing it to when... speak to the people. I'm doing it to, to speak to people. He, he loves getting to know someone, trying to help them out where, they can, where he can. And, and Mate, they are, no them. shit. That is, that is what we modelled this off when we, when we started Swiss Aid. It was like, there's so many big organisations out there that have just turned into fundraising factories. And what do they do with it? Fuck all. And then you've got these little, these guys, well, I don't, little, I'm using that in the wrong context, but dudes with no backing, no nothing, just starting up with pure intentions going, fuck it, who cares about everything else other than the grassroots end state of starting conversations with people? That's sick. So when does he step off? He's not stepping off now until, I believe, March next year. He was meant to be stepping off in November. And then we, ha we had a big lockdown and, he was up. To, he was still game for doing it, right? Even with lockdown, he would have just camped. But we, we said, like, mate, there's only one time you're going to bang out five thousand eight hundred mile run. You need to do it when you've got the maximum backing, because otherwise, it just becomes like a personal growth thing, and that's not the aim. It's it's. You know, he he wants to go. He was like, yeah, a, you know, yeah. let me get, let me off the lead, sort of thing. But like you said, if you don't do it the right backing when everyone's back. No, in, you're 100 percent right, man. A lot of people you, get into this stuff and they go balls deep into it because. It looks like they're doing it for X reason, but really it's just about personal growth, 100%. I've, I've battled with that myself. 
Mate, if if you're going in March next year, we've got a year to do this, right? So, what, what's your company called that does the 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 rugby game fit outs? Three three eight cable more than likely needs to hire a couple of foreign um, <laughs> labourers around February next year, so that we can get some working visas and bypass the uh, COVID restrictions. Boys, hundred percent. Hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think as well. Head, you know, speaking to Paul, head up. He's mega keen to have some sort of partnership with Swiss State purely because, mate, he's going to be anyone mm. who comes across. He's going to be pushing your app out. You know, so, so what better way to start than you Fuck know, Swiss no. State boys maybe seeing him off. Mex will go with him around thirty. The whole way. We can all at least. You heard it here first, mate. Mex will the go first, the entire the way mile. around the UK <laughs> running. I drive the support. <laughs> <laughs> Until we run past the first pub. Now that sounds good, mate. All right, if we've got 12 months, we can fucking do anything. We'll make it happen. Yeah, no, definitely. Go. 100%. <laughs> oh, mate, mate, that was fucking fantastic. I'm so glad to have you on, mate. We're going to fucking wrap it up. Um, we'll keep in contact and we'll have to get you back on because I think what you experienced uh, and the positivity out of it, you could have, you could have, drip down into the despair of of the government or the victim mentality but you the who you are and where you went and and your ability to move forward um is admirable mate so mate i can't wait to meet you and uh thanks for coming on the show uh, thanks a lot guys um it's been great it's, it's been great to talk to you both um no, let's sort something out soon um I'll, I'll hit you an email after this and maybe Paul's details and, okay. and stuff like that. Cheers, Cheers mate. mate. Stay on for a second. Cheers, mate. guys. Keegan, you have been...